when I started reading about this stuff, I was surprised, actually. I expected I'd be okay, and I started reading some of the stories of domestic violence survivors, and it was, it actually made me really upset. Yeah, that's right. It's hard to hear some of this stuff. So I'd like to give a warning that this episode may trigger. We're going to talk a bit about violence and abuse in relationships, and that may bring up some feelings for people. You might want to skip to the next episode, or if you feel like you need to talk to someone, call 1-800-RESPECT, which is the National Sexual Assault and Domestic and Family Violence Counselling Service. I mean, it was really only 15 years ago they had the first conversations about it, and it was really because gay men were presenting at the hospital and hospital staff were saying, hang on, some of this stuff looks like domestic violence, but this is gay men. This is Not What You Think. I'm Sasha Rosen. It's a fraction better this year in Australia if you've experienced domestic or family violence. Police are getting better at responding to it. Just a fraction. Australians are getting better at talking about it. Just a fraction. But as we improve a bit at talking about how that's a thing for mainstream society, most people don't know that domestic violence can be a thing if you're lesbian, if you're gay, trans, all the way down the LGBTIQ acronym, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, queer. Moo Bulch is the CEO of Domestic Violence New South Wales. She knew all about it. Moo, thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Just before we start talking about abusive relationships, can you think of a time you were really happy in a relationship? I'm in the most wonderful relationship now. I married my wife a year ago, almost, to the day. I'm English, so I got to go and do it at the British consulate. You know, we're still waiting in Australia. It might be a little while yet, but yeah, I'm super happy. So there's smaller than a square kilometre of space in Sydney where you guys are married. Well, actually, in New South Wales, our relationship is recognised. Sydney is the first consulate outside of the UK where gay and lesbian people can go and get married. I had both of my mothers because I'm adopted and I have two mums. So I had my birth family and my adoptive family. They both walked me down the aisle and we had all of my wife's family there too. So it was a huge wedding. I made my vows up on the spot, but they were heartfelt. And my wife, Liz, I think spent many hours thinking about hers and they were just beautiful. Did you cry? I did cry, yeah. What does a healthy relationship look like? A healthy relationship... I think it's a very difficult thing to define, which is part of the problem that we have around domestic violence. We really struggle sometimes to look at relationships and work out whether there is power and control going on in there, which is what we uh, define as an unhealthy relationship. Abuse in a relationship is the exertion of power and control by one partner over another, usually in a really systematic way, and it might be a range of different types of behaviour. So it's not people hitting people, or that that's just part of it? I think the physical stuff is what people most immediately leap to when they think about domestic violence. They think about broken bones and bruises. But we now know that domestic violence is really a range of behaviours. Often people tell me that there was never any physical violence in their relationship and yet they go on to explain a whole range of incredibly abusive behaviours. So it might be stopping somebody from partaking in social activities or having a relationship with friends or family. It may be controlling their money, financially abusing someone. It may be sexually abusing them. So that might be rape or sexual assault. But it may also be coercing someone into taking part in sexual behaviours that they don't feel comfortable with, even watching porn, for example. It can play out in a whole range of different ways. And really, every relationship is different. But it's a lot easier to define what is unhealthy than what a healthy relationship is. Do abusive relationships happen to a particular type of person? No, we know that domestic violence exists in all sorts of relationships. It's a phenomenon that crosses cultural differences. 
It happens certainly in lesbian and gay relationships at a rate of probably about one in three people. We know that for trans and intersex people, and as somebody told me the other day, bisexual women are much more exposed to violence in their intimate partnerships. And I think there are a range of reasons for that. Every abusive relationship is different, but they follow a lot of similar patterns. You're right. It can happen in a range of different ways. For some people, it's one episode that is either incredibly physically violent or abusive enough for them to say, this is not what I want in my relationship, and they might be able to leave fairly easily. For other people, they can stay in relationships for decades, living with the violence and abuse and just accepting that that is normal within the context of their relationship. It's pretty hard when we don't have lots of models of what healthy relationships are and we're not great at talking about that stuff either in schools or later on as adults. It's not the best coffee table book conversation. It's not the thing that we talk about when we're sitting around with our mates, what is a healthy relationship. And so I think we can find it really hard to make calls on something that is abusive. So this sort of stuff can be hard to talk about if you're in the mainstream community. It's harder still if you're LGBTI. And I imagine it's harder still if you're a child. Yeah, look, I think being an adolescent can be a tough time, whether you are questioning your gender or your sexuality or not. But I think when we think about domestic violence and experiences of violence and abuse in families for young LGBTIQ people, they can be really quite extreme. There's an amazing set of pieces of research done by a woman called Lynn Hillier down in Victoria and she's been talking with young people about their experiences of being sexuality or gender diverse over a long period of time and what she's seen is that the majority of the experiences of violence of young LGBTIQ people occur either in school or in the family context and she has recorded some really quite horrific stories of young gender diverse or gay or lesbian people you know Australian young people who are experiencing quite horrific abuse. Are we just talking about kids in school just calling each other names or is it worse than that? No, it's a lot worse than that. It's kids being physically bullied. It's kids having things carved into their backs by other... Carved into their backs? Yeah. It's amazing research. It's really quite confronting. The series of research pieces are called Writing Themselves In and they've done three of those pieces of research. One of the things that I think Hillier found in the most recent study is that the violence is actually increasing. I think as young people will become more confident being out at school and are more able and feel more free to express their sexuality or gender diversity, those experiences of violence become more extreme. The other thing is we've had Mardi Gras fairly recently. We now see parents marching who are proud of their trans kids. We've had some really big conversations about things like safe schools and how we can talk about sex and gender diversity in the school context. And those sorts of conversations are really important because we're actually questioning now the norms around the acceptability of violence against young gay and lesbian people and and trans and gender diverse. And this can become a problem when you grow up. It can come from a partner as well. Yeah, and it can be really hard to form healthy relationships later on in life if what you've experienced in the family or the school context is pretty violent and abusive. It can really skew your vision of what a healthy relationship looks like. We know certainly anecdotally for a lot of LGBTIQ people that if they are in an abusive relationship, it's often in one of their first adult relationships because they're really vulnerable. Often an abuser will say, well, this is normal. This is what it's like in a gay relationship. This is the way that things are. It's different from heterosexual relationships. You're trans, so this is the way that it is. This is normal. This is our LGBTIQ normal. Why would someone not call that out? Why would they not leave? Yeah, I mean, it's that perpetual question that we ask ourselves when we talk about domestic violence. Why doesn't she leave? Why does he stay? Why does he keep going back when he's getting beaten like that? 
I mean, I think the question really is, why is this behaviour happening in the first place? We're living in a society that actually accepts some kind of violence in particular contexts. It's almost excused. There are certain times and places where violence or abuse is more acceptable and is socially condoned almost. Coming out about partner violence, there can be a lot of shame just in the mainstream community. But there can be additional levels of shame if you're gay, lesbian, trans. All these different relationships, there's an additional layer of shame. Yeah, look, I think there are a number of levels of shame. I mean, being in an abusive relationship, often the perpetrator, your partner, will wear you down, will wear your self-confidence down, and you'll feel pretty ashamed anyway. It's a difficult thing to reach out for help, whatever your relationship is, no matter how supportive your family or friends might be, and whether that's a same-sex relationship or whether it's heterosexual. However, I think the extra levels of shame, and these are things that we see really often in LGBTIQ relationships, are that fear that nobody will believe you, that actually two men can't be in an abusive relationship with one another, two women can't abuse one another because of some innate nature of gender. I think also that fear of even if you ask for help, the services are not going to believe you. So you can go to the police, but what are they going to do? They're not going to listen to you. You're just a trans woman. Police and mainstream services don't always get it right. They're getting much, much better. Things are improving. We've really done a lot of work over the last 10 years or so to try and improve responses, particularly to LGBTIQ people here in New South Wales through working with the police and working with mainstream agencies. But as with any other large employer where you've got thousands of employees, they might not always get it right. And it's really important to, I think, be able to get support from the right place, whether that's friends or family member whether it's a mainstream agency or police, but just having that conversation with someone and reaching out for help is really important. We have a range of places now in New South Wales, I think, where if you need someone to talk to, you can go and you will get someone who understands. So at ACON, we have the LGBTI Domestic Violence Project, and they have really amazing counsellors at ACON who can do either face-to-face counselling through ACON or one of the regional offices, but they also do online counselling as well and can do telephone counselling for people who are not able to access those centres. We have QLife, the National LGBTIQ Counselling Service, and they have counsellors there that can talk through your options, and again, that's available across the country. And I think for, for young people knowing about 2010, which is the Young LGBTIQ Support Organisation, they too can offer support and point you in the right direction in terms of having a conversation with somebody about violence that you might be experiencing, either in the family context or in your relationship. What was it like before in public if you were, say, a gay man and you said your partner had abused you or hit you? I'm not sure that it was something that many people understood. Certainly responses from places like the police or a mainstream domestic violence service would have been pretty rotten, I think. I don't know that people were having those sorts of conversations. I mean, it was really only 15 years ago that the LGBTIQ domestic violence interagency was first formed and it was a group of people who came together, some staff from St Vincent's Hospital and from the police and from ACON and some other places, and they were the ones that started another closet. They had the first conversations about it and it was really because gay men were presenting at the hospital and hospital staff, I think social workers, were saying, hang on, some of this stuff looks like domestic violence in the mainstream context, but this is gay men. And so it's really over the last 10 or 15 years that people have started to understand that domestic violence can exist outside of the mainstream community. There can also be an issue of people in the wider queer community not believing you as well. Absolutely. We're not great at talking about it in queer communities. It's not a thing that we feel comfortable talking about. We don't want to draw attention to the fact that sometimes our relationships can be abusive too. 
you know, if you've struggled to have your family accept the fact that you're a lesbian, then telling them that you're in an abusive relationship is a pretty tough call. It can be hard to reach out to those people close to you, but it's also really hard sometimes, I think, just to talk to people within your community about some of these behaviours. And we know often that some of the most abusive people are actually in positions of power, both in mainstream and in LGBTIQ communities, and they groom people pretty well. Presumably they groom communities not to notice. Absolutely, yeah. I reckon I'm a pretty informed guy. I'm pretty nice. I care about these sorts of issues. You know, I I feel like I would never do anything abusive to my partner. What's wrong with what I'm thinking there? (laughs) I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with what you're thinking. I mean, I imagine, and, and I've had a few conversations with people who have identified after the fact that they have perpetrated some level of abuse in relationships, and it's a really interesting conversation to have. I think most of us think that we're pretty okay people in our relationships. And I think one of the difficulties can be identifying what is the difference between normal conflict in a relationship, whereby two people are trying to nut out how a thing should be and how they can come to a hopefully a common position or agree to disagree, as opposed to one person using power and control over another. And as I said, some of those behaviours can be quite subtle. And perhaps if you've grown up in a family where you're not good at dealing with conflict and maybe one parent is abusing the other pretty regularly then that could be your modus operandi in terms of a relationship. So this stuff can be pretty tough. It can be tough to think about how you yourself deal with conflict in a relationship and how you treat your partner. We're predisposed, especially in the media, to look in terms of victim, these powerless people that we protect, and villain, these irredeemable people who do, you know, definitely irredeemable things. But Mm. is that a very useful division? I think it's true for some relationships. I mean, probably also it's good to take a step back at this point and say the majority of LGBTIQ relationships are healthy and safe and respectful. But as with mainstream relationships, there are some, particularly an extreme, which are very violently abusive. I think we know that there are those extreme examples and certainly there are some psychopathic people out there who will exert that power and control in a really violent, really systematic way. But I think there are also a whole lot of relationships on that sort of spectrum, on the unhealthy spectrum, that may dip in and out of really unhealthy behaviours. And for me, I think they're probably some of the ones that we can actually think about being able to shift in terms of behaviour. I was sitting up in a men's behaviour change program probably six months ago. And the way that a men's behaviour change program works is really interesting. You get usually somewhere between 10 and 15 men and they come weekly to a group and they work through a group process and they look at the sorts of behaviours that they use in their relationship and then how that impacts maybe on their kids because that's often a really good way of getting people to understand what the impacts of their behaviour might be and then on their partner. And I think that we don't have many models and many places in our society right now where men or women, LGBTIQ, mainstream, whatever, you know, sexuality, gender, regardless, are able to sit and reflect on the ways that our behaviour impacts on others around us. Certainly... I think the way that male privilege is constructed in our society, it definitely encourages that unhealthiness of relationships and that power and control. And that's why we know that the majority of abusers, perpetrators in relationships are men, certainly in the mainstream context. But I think we also have some of those sorts of behaviours that we mirror within LGBTIQ relationships as well. And it can be really tough when you don't have models of what is healthy around you. You don't quite know what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. How successful have those programmes been so far? 
It's an area that we're learning about. Certainly down in Victoria, they've been running a gay men's behaviour change program for a long time now, VicAIDS. The AIDS Council down there have been running a program. We have standards around the way that those programs are run and the program down there has been running for, I think, more than a decade now. They've just got funding to run an LGBTIQ program, so that will be men and women, trans, intersex, queer, same-sex, all in together. And that will be for LGBTIQ people who use violence in their relationships or have used violence in their relationships or are worried that they're abusive in relationships in the intimate partner context and are able to come and sit and discuss in a safe space some of those sorts of dynamics and what the results of their behaviour are. And learn how to build a healthy relationship from there on in. Absolutely. Look, I think this is tough stuff and it's early days. We know little bits about how effective behaviour change programs are, but we also know that we have a whole span of different behaviours. And when we look at the perpetrator spectrum from that extreme, extreme violent um, psychopathic behaviour down to the other end of the scale, we know that different things probably work with different people. Often people will say it was a long time after I left the relationship or the relationship ended or she left me for somebody else that I realised that it was domestic violence. Somebody told me, maybe a friend said, yeah, I didn't think that relationship was so good for you. Maybe a conversation with a counsellor five years down the track where you start talking about some of the things that occurred in that relationship and how it impacted on you. It can be a tough thing to spot when you're actually in a relationship, I think. Do you think there might be people listening now in that sort of relationship who who haven't noticed? Sure. We know one in three gay men and lesbians have an intimate partnership in their lifetime with someone where there's abuse. Often that abuse is not physical, is not sexual, it's emotional abuse, it's manipulation. Certainly I look at my friendships and the circles of people I've had around me at various times in my life and I know that I've been around people who've been in abusive relationships. It's with us all the time, I think. What do you do if you realise this is what you're experiencing? Look, I think we have to be a bit careful about being too prescriptive about what people should do. Certainly we know many people choose to stay in a relationship and they may want to try and work through and confront the abuse in their relationship in some way. Other people need to get out. And really it has to be a personal choice as to what you want. I think the key to it is talk to someone. Get informed, find out what your options are. Think about a safety plan. Always call the police if there's violence going on, if you see something going on, but not all LGBTIQ people feel comfortable reporting to police. Police also in New South Wales have certain obligations in terms of taking action, and for some people that might not be the right thing. So it's really about being able to have that conversation with the right person who will believe you, won't judge, will offer you support, and is not going to push you into doing something that you don't feel comfortable with doing. So for most people listening, calling 1-800-RESPECT would be the right place to go for that? Absolutely. Always in a situation of danger, call the police. That would be my my first piece of advice, always. But if that's not the right thing for you or if you want to have a conversation with somebody and you don't feel that there's anybody within your peer circle who you feel comfortable talking with, then call someone and have a confidential chat. As friends and support people, we have to be really careful and we have to be really aware that for a lot of people, they may try to leave a number of times before they do leave the relationship. For others, they may choose never to leave the relationship, but may choose to stay there for a range of reasons. And we have to be respectful of that. Being able just to ask and offer support, even if they say, no, I'm fine, there's nothing going on. Just reaching out and doing that again in an appropriate period of time, just letting them know that you're there for them that you won't judge them, that you believe them, and that if they need some support, whether it's a sofa to sleep on for a couple of nights or whether it's 
somebody to go with them when they go and report to the police or go and get some help from a mainstream service or going to have a chat with your GP. Wherever it is, just knowing that there is someone there is really, really important. Brad's story. He replied, I can't. I only chose someone as young as you so I could make him the boyfriend I wanted. It's too hard to do that again. I was horrified. It was during the months after the relationship ended that I realised what I'd experienced with Joshua was domestic violence. I was reading Dolly or Cleo Mag and I saw a quiz. I read the questions. Are you afraid to talk to your boyfriend about money? Does your boyfriend humiliate you in public? Does your boyfriend fight with your family? And does your boyfriend control your free time? Followed by the statement. Then you're probably experiencing domestic violence. It was like a bolt out of the blue. It put everything into perspective. Brad's story is a really good one because he has a beautiful story of survival. He certainly used his experience to change lots of other people's lives. He ended up in a very happy, loving relationship and is able to talk really publicly about his experiences. Before Brad's story, I don't think there were too many that were really out there in the public realm in terms of gay men talking about experiences of abuse in their relationships. And Brad's is one of the stories about domestic violence that you can read on the website Another Closet. There's a link on our show page and in our podcast notes. Moo, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. If you're affected or you've been affected by any of the things we were talking about today, call the police in an emergency. Otherwise, you might want to call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. You can also look up Another Closet. That's anothercloset.com.au. We have all sorts of other services listed and linked to in today's program page and in our podcast notes, including links to ACON and to Domestic Violence New South Wales. Thanks to Georgia Hitch for suggesting today's topic and guest. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, we've got lots more. Go to fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink to hear all of this season's episodes and two seasons' worth of archived episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast there and get each episode one day early. Is there something you think we should make a show about? There's a link on that page for you to tell us all about it. Know What You Think is produced by Samira, additional production by Olivia Peary-Griffiths and Lachlan Wiley. It was created by Laura Briley, Claire Holland, and me, I'm Sasha Rosen. Keep listening for our next episode.